0: here and uh this semester we are studying the book of acts uh we're in our third week and uh i made the argument at the beginning that uh it, it sometimes been variously argued that this is the acts of the apostles your bible might say that and some people argue that it might be the acts of the holy spirit I, i've argued that it's the acts of jesus that jesus is continuing to work and, and in this book and that's remarkable because he's no longer on earth we see that in the first chapter he's sort of departed And yet, if you were here last week, or you just go back and read chapter 2, you see remarkable things happen. In in a day, 3,000 new people join the church. Well, there really wasn't much of a church. After three years of ministry, there's 120 people. And then in a day, Jesus pours out His Spirit, and 3,000 people join. Twenty-six-fold growth in a day. That's a good day's work, right? Um, I've sort of subtitled this series, Growing Together, Going Together. And we sort of see the growing and the going, but we haven't seen much together. But we'll see it today, because what becomes clear in our text is that when these individuals are called by Jesus, when they choose to follow him as individuals, they're joined to him and to each other in this community called the church. So I'm going to be reading verses 41 to 47 in chapter 2. All right. Chapter 2, 41 to 47. So those who received his word, that's Peter's word, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon... Awe. I said that like a southerner. Awe, which I am, but I, it's not normally, it doesn't usually happen. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right, I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me. Our Great Father, we ask you show us great things in your word. You soften our hearts, sharpen our minds, and uh, show us your goodwill for us, your people. And for those of us that don't uh, know you, are suspicious or skeptical that you are real or good, would you be kind, if you're real, to make yourself known to them tonight? As he sings, your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, as a pastor, preacher, sometimes you find yourself things. Saying things and uh, even asking things you would never imagine. And this is one of them. All right, here you go. A little poll by hand. Ready? How many of you like rom-coms? Show of hands. Yes. Romantic comedies. <laughs> okay. Now, hands down. This is for all of you that didn't raise your hand. This is a double-blind test where no one knew you were raising your hand. How many of you would raise your hand that you like rom-coms? Really, I don't believe you. <laughs> All right, so uh, another thing I've never thought I would say uh, in a sermon: about 20 years ago, um, that's, that's, that's 20 years ago, 20 years ago, I was uh, I was sort of like in a rom com. It felt like there was this, I was in grad school. Hang in there. I was in grad school, <laughs> and uh, there was this girl I really liked in grad school. And I had agreed to drive her home because her home was on my way home, even though it was like 13 hours away. And uh, on the way back, (laughs) it's called the interstate. It happens. (laughs) On the way back, I'm visiting with her family, and it snows like eight inches. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) Stranded at the girl's house with her family for the weekend. And... uh, it was a great weekend. It was like the last really good thing about that relationship. But uh, we, uh, you know, it was a beautiful town. We, we went out for dinner. We went and got some dessert. And we went and watched a rom-com. We went and watched this movie in 1998 called You've Got Mail. Yes. Oh, fans, I see. Thumbs down. So anyway. Thumbs <coughs> Yeah, yeah. So here we go. Uh You've got mails, this movie, about a woman named Kathleen Kelly, played by Meg Ryan, owner of a little cute family-owned bookstore called The Shop Around the Corner. She's being put out of business by the uh, monolithic, giant, uh, mega bookstore called Fox Books. This is before anyone had ever heard of Amazon. And uh, Kathleen is, uh, while she's going through this, losing her business, she's nevertheless encouraged and almost giddy because she's enjoying this online romance with a stranger through this thing called email. It's 1998. So in 1998 you push your computer and then you had to like the dial-up would come on and make this weird sound. You would click this little icon for AOL. That's what everyone had and if you had mail it would say you've got mail and you your heart would jump with anticipation and she was part of this uh, on a like online anonymous uh dating forum for 30 somethings and uh she was really enjoying this uh getting to know this other stranger who went by the handle uh new york 152 and they finally decided to meet uh, at a coffee shop and she's waiting anxiously with her book trying to look like she's not anxious trying to look relaxed when uh in walks joe fox played by tom hanks the owner of fox books that's putting her out of business her antagonist, a guy she hates. Uh, Now, Fox immediately recognized what's happened. I've been communicating with her online. Like, that's her. But he doesn't tell her because, well, he knows she hates him. So um, he he tries to approach her. She's having nothing to do with it. He sits down anyway. What ensues is a very antagonistic uh, conversation, and uh, he points out the book she's reading. She's like, I'm sure you've never read it. And he's like, I have read it, actually. You might be surprised if you got to know me. And she says, if I really knew you, I knew what I'd find. Instead of a brain, a cash register. Instead of a heart, a bottom line. And, uh, and then she begs him to leave. Uh, before he leaves, uh, well, he leaves and sits like at the table right behind her. And uh, they can't help but get into another fight. And uh, as... Uh, He's about to leave. He asks her, are you going to be mean to him too? She says she's still waiting for the guy. She doesn't recognize it's him. She's still waiting for the guy to come. And she says, no, because he's completely unlike you. He's kind. He's funny. Wonderful sense of humor. Not a cruel or careless bone in his body. No one will ever remember you, Joe Fox. And then she says, you are nothing but a suit. Now, he's taken a lot of verbal abuse uh, through their short conversation, but this is the clincher, and uh, he he takes it on the chin, and he nods, and he puts on his coat and says, uh, that's my cue, and he leaves. I I love this little scene, and I'm telling it to you because I I think it's uh, poignant. It it points out a a really interesting possibility, the possibility that you can come face-to-face with what you really want face-to-face with what you really want, and not recognize it. Even despise it and dismiss it. Now, why do I say that? Because I think it's the case that at least some of you and many of your peers desperately want community, desperately want a, a place to grow, a place to belong, a place to experience rich friendship. And I hit that and I say, have you ever thought about the church? And you're like, oh, no, that. Not, not the church. And uh, there may be various reasons why any of you might feel that way. Um, in fact, there's as many of you as there are, there may be that many reasons. Uh, and, and all of your potential reactions might range from indifference to embrace to antagonism to pain and suffering. Um, so if, if that's part of your story, I understand and'd love to talk about talk about it at some point but but, what we 're going to see in our text tonight is is I think pretty clear that if you want to embrace Jesus and his mission of going and growing together, you have to embrace his community, the church. if you're going to embrace Jesus and his mission of going and growing together, you have to be a part of this community, the church so three points like always. It's not always true. Sometimes there's two or four. Almost always three. Uh, First, how is this community different? That's the long one. And then two short ones. Uh, What's it mean to be devoted? And then desired. So different, devoted, desired. Here we go. What makes this community that Jesus is assembling and building different? And in verse 42, we find this new little community Uh, described as devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, if you've read the Bible, you've been around uh, churches, this wouldn't seem all that, you know, okay, of course they did. But but if you were there at the time, if you were a faithful Jew at the time, you'd be thinking, what, what? They're devoting themselves to what? They're devoting themselves to like Moses and the prophets. That makes sense. Maybe if they were devoting themselves to like the teachings of Jesus. Well, that makes sense. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Not many days before this, they were you know, 11 hapless guys that couldn't seem to get out of their own way. 40 or 50 days before this, they had deserted their leader. They'd gone their own way. And, and now, they are teaching, and everyone's paying attention. Um, now, why is this? Well, uh, this is very important, actually. And hang with me if you don't think it's important. Uh, first of all, these, these people were specifically personally chosen by Jesus. You can go back and look at with me in the Gospels at some point. He handpicks every single one of them. And they were handpicked with a particular appointment. You see this in the Gospel of Mark. To be with him. To listen. To learn. To be disciples means to be students of. They were students in the school of Jesus. Take careful notes, gentlemen, to everything I say. Follow him. Go with me everywhere I go and do what I do. And they did that for three years. So they were regular recipients of the teaching of Jesus, stewards of it. Uh, We find out in Acts 1 that all of them were eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. When it came time to replace the guy that, you know, betrayed Jesus and knocked himself off, they're like, how do we find a replacement? Well, they had to be with Jesus from the beginning and have seen the resurrection, qualification. They, they saw Jesus resurrected, like the real, like there he is. They, they actually had to see it. It's qualification for being an apostle. So much so that John, one of the apostles, will write in one of his letters, 1 John, oh, this Jesus that's ascended to the right hand of the Father. We, we saw him. We touched him. We heard. we heard." That's the nature of our ministry with him. We, we, we were with him. And, and while Jesus was with them, he promised them, see this a lot in the book of John, that uh, when he left, he would give their, the Holy Spirit to be with them. Not only to comfort them, but also to strengthen them and to bring to their memory all his teaching. And uh, we see then that Jesus is authorizing them as teachers. And then what happens in their own text here in verse 43, all these signs and wonders are happening, which means God is authenticating them as witnesses. In other words, they're speaking God's words. That's what the apostles are doing. They're speaking the word of God. And uh, it's really interesting because uh, this is how Jesus speaks to his people. This is why I believe the Old Testament is reliable and the New Testament is reliable. And if you've uh, happened to sit through, I don't know, a class here called something like Introduction to the New Testament with uh, maybe a professor whose name begins with the letter D, uh, then maybe you've really had difficulty with this subject. And I'd love to talk to you about it because I think there are, All kinds of wonderful, logical, historical reasons to believe this New Testament is reliable. That's not some of your problems. Some of your problems with this is like, okay, they said it. Well, what's that got to do with me? How is it relevant to me? It's 2,000 years old. And uh, a pastor uh, from actually this state, the other side, named Paul Miller, uh, contends that we all live by a script. He says this. We think we've moved beyond the primitive belief of sacred writings, but most of us still have some kind of scripture or guide we follow. In the confusion of life, we're looking for a word of authority, some information that brings clarity and direction. So some of us watch the news, or read the newspaper, check your horoscope. University professors refer to literature almost with reverence. Psychologists look to Freud. Revolutionaries look to Marx. Millions of Americans look to Oprah true actually (laughs) and uh, we search for a word that will bring order to the chaos of life a word that will make sense of the brokenness each of us is shaped by a script whether it's a book or a movie or a therapist and I would say for maybe a good quarter of you a parent's expectations the search for words of certainty is so pervasive one suspect it's programmed Einstein reflected that human beings dance to a mysterious tune intoned in the distance by an invisible player. In other words, we all have a script, some kind of scripture, some kind of meta story that's driving our lives. For Jesus, it's really clear that, that was God's word. And based on this, it's really clear that for Jesus' people, it's supposed to be God's word. So what makes us different is we hear God's words and we love God's people. It says they're devoted to the words. And they're devoted to fellowship. It's a very interesting word. It's part of our name, RUF, Reformed University Fellowship. Every now and then someone's honest enough to say, what does that word mean? Because it's not a word we use a lot. And uh, I I think the way this text talks about it is really helpful. Uh, One, it it involves sharing. I don't mean just like, oh, yeah, here, you can share. (laughs) But no, sharing each other, sharing each other. That there's a togetherness that is innate in this relationship. That uh, not only did they have all things in common, they had one another in common. And a minute ago, I talked about how John in his letter said, yeah, Jesus, yeah, we saw him, we touched him, we heard him. In that same passage, he goes on to say, hey, I'm telling you all this so you can know the fellowship that we have, which is with the Father and the Son. Uh, see, the, the contention here is not like, Hey, we're just going to have like a little community of people that like each other. No, what what Jesus is saying is, no, you get to be part of the community of God. Father, Son, and Spirit love one another deeply. And he wants to bring you in and make you part of the family. You get to share that family with one another. That's what he wants for us is that we share Jesus with one another. And we share one another with Jesus. And uh, we, we see that in lots of ways in this text, in the way they eat together, the way they worship together. But uh, not only in the sharing, but in the caring. See in verse 45, they sell and distribute their proceeds as they had need. It's pretty pretty popular now for some to say, you know, here we have an early example of uh, the evils of capitalism and the necessity of communism. Um, <laughs> This is voluntary. This is voluntary. We'll see it later in chapter 5. You don't have to do this, you know. If you do this and you lie about it, bad things are going to happen. But uh, this is voluntary. And it's sacrificial. And it's caring. And uh, this is what we want at the fellowship. We want to enjoy one another. We want to be together. But we also want a place where we're cared for. And that's what this community is marked by. Caring. Uh, They share a life together and they care for one another. The other thing they do, so they they hear God's words, they love God's people, they worship Him. They worship Him because He's worthy. He's good to them. You see that they can sort of do this, you know, just like we do. You can do it individually in verse 47. It says they're praising God. Well, you can do that anywhere, and any time. Some of you probably do, as you walk up the street. People think you're crazy, but that's okay, because He's worthy. That's right. Um, But also, Uh, I think there's a really strong indication here in the text that that Luke is saying that this group of people was already doing something like church. And I've I've been talking about church as a group of people, but here I'm talking about church like get-together for like formal worship church. I think there's an indication here in the text that God's people were already gathering together for worship for something like church. Verse 46 tells us they're attending the temple. They're going to church. In verse 41, we see that they're being baptized. That is, they're joining the family team. They're putting on the uniform. They're walking away from their old life. They're making an external declaration to the world that I belong to this group of people. It's a very churchy thing to do. Verse 42 talks about breaking the bread. That could just mean eating a meal. Most scholars think it means, yeah, we're eating a meal, but we're also eating the meal the meal that Jesus gave us, the Lord's Supper. We're taking that together because he told us this was a way he communicates his love to us. And then even the way he talks about prayer. He calls it the prayers. That's not the way we talk? Like the prayers? You just pray. The prayer sounds pretty formal. And uh, I think we have pretty clear indication here that what's at work is God's people are gathering together formally to worship him. And uh, it's important because this is how God communicates his love, his purpose, his will to his people in worship, through baptism, in the Lord's Supper, and the preaching of the word and the prayers. Um, he does. And uh, this is where God meets with His people, it's how He strengthens His people. And that's why every now and then I make people really mad in RUF by telling them, if you're a Christian and you're an RUF and you don't go to church, that's not enough. For a couple different reasons. One, there is no RUF when you graduate. You can come to my house, but I'm not going to do this. But you're also missing all these other ways that God communicates his love to his people that belong to the church. You're you're missing seeing people join the family. You're missing the meal that he gives to us, to his loved ones. And uh, the church is God's long term plan for his people. So what makes this community different is Jesus is at work here. This is where Jesus works. He works in this family, in this way. He he speaks, and so we're a learning community. And he he brings his people in, so we're a loving community. And he's worthy, so we're a worshiping community. Let's talk about how we're different and how we're devoted. Well, we talked about how we're different. Let's talk about how we're devoted. Uh, Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to these things. And that's important. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what strikes me about this text is not their devotion, it's Jesus' devotion, okay? We didn't read these verses, but you go back to verse 39, and what you have is Peter standing up preaching to large crowds of people, I'll read it, and saying, The promise is for you and your children, for those who are far off, for everyone whom the Lord our God calls. With many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who received his word were baptized and added that day 3,000 souls. The picture here is something like this. Jesus is taking his marching orders from Jesus. Peter's taking his marching orders from Jesus. And and Jesus' order to Peter is, Peter, I so desire to add people to my family. I I want people to come. I, I have people out there that are mine. I want them to join the family. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to stand up and tell them. How to come in. Okay. I want you to do it in, in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria then to the ends of the earth. Okay. How long do you mean to do it? Yeah. To your dead. <laughs> like the next 30 years. Like this is the plan. This is the plan. Jesus is devoted to bringing people in to the family, to his family. Uh, and, and in verses 40 and 41, we sort of see what that looks like. It looks like an exit and an entrance. That they leave this corrupt generation. And as they're baptized, they enter a new family. Uh, a couple days ago, if you were spying on us, don't do that. But uh, <laughs> you would have seen three of us at Quad Bucks. Um, and, uh, you know, it would looked like everybody else, except for I'm the weird bearded guy hanging out with students. <laughs> And, but they were studying and I was working. But uh, one of us, if you're just quietly watching out to the side, you would have wondered, like, why are the three of them, like, almost about to cry? And it's because one of us had a phone with a picture of a little girl. Do you want to tell the story? No. Of course not. <laughs> Do you want to tell the story? No, of course not. <laughs> so we know this little girl. She's from the Indian reservation where we go and work in Yakima, Washington. Her name is Forever. And there's a picture of her being baptized. I'm going to be okay. So for some of you, you're thinking that's not not a big deal. It happens all the time. I was baptized, not a big deal. Um, She's joining a family that loves her. She's never had a family that loves her. It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be celebrated. It's wonderful. This is what Jesus is doing. He's growing his family by bringing them to himself. He's devoted to it. And because he's devoted to it, well, you should be devoted to it. And you see that in verse 42. They are, they're devoted to these things. And you know, the word itself is sort of interesting. We don't really talk about devotion. Uh, you know, I, I play with words for a living. That's what I do. And I don't think I hardly ever use the word devoted unless I'm doing a wedding, right? Well, there's mutual devotion. I'm devoted to you, you're devoted to me. And that's what's going on here because Jesus is devoted to them. I'm going to keep speaking and working in your lives in this way. Then they saying... Okay, if this is the way you make your love and your will known to us, the words and the prayers and the fellowship, we should be devoted to those things. Yes, you should. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, it makes sense, but devoted, isn't that that a little hard? It sounds like fanatical. Devoted. Sounds fanatical. Maybe I'll devote it to my spouse, but I'm not going to be devoted to anything else. Says rabid sports fans who shell out money. And stand in line and sit in the cold to watch your team lose. <laughs> right? Says uh, members of sororities and fraternities who sit through grueling interviews in order to join a house, which involves moving and, and paying dues and committing to one another. And... Uh, it's not devoted. I mean, you you literally wear the colors and name, right? And uh, you even have the name of family, sorority, fraternity. It's it's, it's family. Uh, And uh, some people might look at those activities and be like, what a bunch of losers. No, I get it. These are people who are ahead of the curve. They know they need community. That's great. We do. And uh, a lot of us think we don't need it, especially regarding our relationship with Jesus. Uh, There's this uh, story, I'm pretty sure it's just proverb uh, of a new Christian uh, visiting an older man who uh, wanted to talk about his dislike for organized religion and the young man asked if it was okay if he just followed Christ on his own without having to be involved with the church the old man didn't say anything I wish I could do this I lack the necessary equipment. Uh, He just simply leaned forward and with a pair of tongs took a glowing red coal from the fireplace and he set it aside on the hearth. And they sat in silence as it went from bright glowing red to cool black. The young man had his answer. Uh, Some of you have been here long enough to actually personally experience that. Maybe that happened in your freshman year. Maybe it happened last semester but you, you walked away from the family long enough where after a long period you looked back and said, man, what, is, what happened to me? Where am I? Friends, if you're a Christian, you are not meant to live apart from the family. You might have a hard time finding the particular community, uh, the expression of the body that you're looking for. I'm glad to, maybe RUF's not your thing. I'll help you find your thing. But Jesus is devoted to it, to the community. Are you devoted to it? So, it's a different kind of community. And Jesus is devoted to it, and we should be too. Lastly, is it desirable? This will be pretty short. In verse 46 and 47, we see that day after day, they're breaking bread, they're enjoying table together, they're enjoying fellowship, they have glad and joyful hearts. And I, I like this verse because it sounds like the exact opposite of your everyday life at Pitt. Um, doesn't that sound awesome? I mean, I remember a couple of years ago talking to a transfer and I asked, what's the biggest difference between your experience here at Pitt and your experience back where you came from? She's like, that's really easy. If you ate a meal by yourself where I came from, old school, you were a loser. But it's just so hard to get together with your friends here that everyone eats by themselves. It is so hard to get together with your friends here, right? It just is. And so this idea, of like getting together and sharing a meal with glad and joyful hearts, it's, it's beautiful. I remember asking a couple of years ago on our sacred road mission trip, which, by the way, is exhausting. This was the year I got you sick, and you, people were throwing up everywhere. <laughs> it was awful. And we worked hard and we slept on the floor. But I remember at the end of the week asking this general question, did serious to people in our, in our van, if you could spend the rest of your life living the same day over. A day here or a day of studies, which would you do? And the majority of people in the van said, give me a day on the reservation. And it was because of the fellowship together, the time spent together, the friendships, the meals together, and the service and the caring. It was just so beautiful, of the way it's supposed to be. And it's so hard to do that here. I know it's hard to do that here. Not only you want it, everyone wants it. Everyone wants it. Listening to a TED Talk this week and uh, this researcher was saying, we, we tend to have this misconception that if you have a grateful heart, if you have gratitude, you will be complacent. If you have gratitude, that means, oh, the world's good, I don't need anything, let's be lazy and enjoy it. And she's like the exact opposite's true. People that have gratitude and joy make the world better. They make the world better for others. Having joy, they continue to press forward to make the world better for others. And I believe it's true. I see that it's true. And, and there are others that desperately want it to be true. And you see that in verse 47. This community of believers that love Jesus and love one another, they're enjoying life and that community in Jerusalem is watching and they're seeing and they like it. The text says they found favor. Jesus said this would happen. He told his disciples years earlier. Well, actually more like months earlier. He said this to them. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, Jesus is saying there early on, listen, if you love one another, care for one another, enjoy one another, live life together, the world will notice because the world is hungry for a beautiful community, a place where it feels like it belongs. And there's so many in the world and so many here that are looking for it. And maybe you're looking for it. Maybe you become cynical that it even exists, but the, They want to know, they need to know, is it real, is it possible, can it happen for me? Two things here. It's sometimes the case, especially uh, among the young and immature, but frankly anybody, to think, I'm speaking here to Christians, if I'm too devoted to the watching world, all my non-Christian friends, Will think I'm a maniac and a nut, and this will not seem desirable to them at all. So I have to curb the devotion in order for this to seem at all desirable to them. That, that way of thinking sound familiar to anybody? And uh, no doubt there are aspects of what you believe that you might need to curb, but it's not the gospel. There might be things that you think are the gospel or the Bible that you are really devoted, and they might not be the gospel, they, may make your faith stink, but uh, by and large, if we curb what we're devoted to, what we're supposed to be devoted to, what we're curbing is what actually makes us different. What we'll be curbing is the things that Jesus uses to communicate his love to us. We'll be curbing the means by which he tells us that he loves us, the means that enable us to love one another. We'll be curbing the very thing that makes us different and desirable to begin with. You don't want to curb that. You don't want to curb that. And uh, there, there might be some of you here on the other side of the spectrum, and you're thinking, uh, you know, I would really like a community like this. I thought I had one. They, they were not good for me. Or maybe you're thinking, I've, I've sort of been looking since I was like 12. I, I'm not sure I've ever found a place where I feel like I fit in. And I want you to know that you're welcome here. You're welcome here every week. You're welcome to everything we do. And, and you may be thinking like, but I don't believe what you believe. Well, you're still welcome here. And you're, and you're welcome to ask me, and Callie and Zenny, a bunch of students here, whatever questions and doubts, fears you have. But the way you really most become a part of this community, it's not just by sitting here. It's by getting to know the person behind it. If you, if you really want to belong to this community, you don't have to perform up to our standards You need to get to know Jesus, the one who sits behind you, who makes the love and the care and the joy and the sharing possible to begin with. I'd love to talk to you about that. So let's finish up where we started. Uh, Joe leaves. (laughs) Insulted, he leaves. But he he doesn't give up. And uh, while she continues to pursue her dream romance with this anonymous online guy, which, again, was him, she doesn't know it, Uh, he patiently pursues her as a friend. It's a little weird. I can't answer that. But he forgives her for all the mean things. And, of course, he shut down her bookshop, so there's lots of forgiveness that needs to go around. But when she gets sick, he visits and takes care of her. Uh, He listens to her talk about this other guy over and over. And what he's trying to do is give her a chance to figure out, do I really like this guy or not? Him, like the real guy in front of him. And, and near the end of the movie, uh, with her still not knowing it's him, uh, still clinging to hope in this other guy that she still hasn't met yet, uh, Joe tells her, you know, hey, I wonder if, uh, if I hadn't been Fox Books and you hadn't been you know, Little Shop Around the Corner. Uh, and we just met. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, yeah. Because they really, by this time they're friends. He says, uh, you know, I would have asked for your number. At this point, she is locked in, like, completely attentive. Then he says, and I I wouldn't have been able to wait for more than 24 hours. I would have called you up and said, hey, how about some coffee or drinks or dinner or a movie for as long as we both shall live. Now, that's a really corny line. I (laughs) I can't imagine any movie now doing that. I like to think the, 20s were pretty, the 1980s, 90s, late 90s were pretty cynical, but we've grown in that. It does sound a little bit corny, but I want to make it clear. He knew what he wanted. He knew that he loved her that much. And he was convinced, actually, that they can get past their lack of forgiveness, that she felt the same way. He knew she was still looking somewhere else. Our our Lord Jesus is every bit as devoted to his people. We're always looking somewhere else. We're always looking somewhere else. Some other group, some other project, some other occupation, some other individual. But he wants to give us himself. And he wants to give us his community. He's devoted to it. For as long as we both shall live. Let's pray.